I am thrilled to be here with you guys. I'm glad that you made this a part of your Christmas and that we can celebrate Christmas together. This has been a crazy uh, Christmas Eve for the Poindexter household. Woke up at about 3.45 a.m. The house was 56 degrees. I had, you know, it's not uncommon. I, I know that um, every night, um, sorry, while well, I de-hair my sweater, sometimes I just like get in the moment and just do stuff that I normally do and forget that I'm up in front of a couple hundred people, so chalk that up to that. Um, but I know that every night I, I'm going to lose about a foot of blanket every hour. Like it just works its way across the bed as my wife becomes the human burrito. <coughs> I'm just kind of used to that. But this morning at 3.45, I realized, oh, this ain't right. And went and checked. And, you know, so no heat. Woke up. Pipes froze. Car wouldn't start. So that was the start of our Christmas Eve. But um, that's all right. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in front of my Polaris family, and we're celebrating Christmas together, and that's all good. Before I get to my material today, I just want to make you aware of this little card uh, that you probably sat on, because um, it blends in nicely with the chair. I'm going to start in January a new series, going to talk about just getting 2023 started right and moving closer to Jesus. And so we're going to talk about <clears throat> the the radical change that Jesus can bring, and I've seen this like in my own life and in the life of many others here at Polaris where maybe you, you get stuck in life, and I've seen growing closer to Jesus um, move, I've seen people move forward and, and, and find radical change. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the, the radical kind of freedom that only Jesus can bring. And then I also want to take some time, um, one of my favorite topics is just um, uh, learning how to use the scriptures to move forward in life. And so that's what we're going to talk about in January. It starts January 8th. So would love for you to put this on the dashboard, on your fridge, whatever, just as a reminder. Um, <clears throat> no services tomorrow for Christmas Day. No services on January 1st because that's the, the time frame that we are getting our new carpet in here to finish our renovations. New carpet in here, new carpet in the lobby. If nothing else, even if you don't want to hear me, come to check out like the room when it's all finished with the new carpet. really ties the room together. So um, don't forget about that at the turn of, of the year. Okay, so um, <clears throat> it's always tough for me. This is my 23rd Christmas at Polaris, and it's kind of tough to find things about the Christmas story that I haven't talked about to not just be repeating the same thing every year. Uh, but I think I, I got one. What I want to do today is I want to talk about the symbolism, the deep symbolism uh, that's built into the gifts that the wise men or the magi presented Jesus. So they come with three very famous gifts, uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And there is actually uh, deep meaning in those gifts. Um, modern Western people, we tend to just read stories for facts. But in the ancient world, they would mine for symbolism in almost everything. Nothing meant just what it meant. It always had more symbolism baked in. And I think what we're going to find is some serious symbolism built into these gifts if we just take a look. So I'm going to start by reading to you from the book of Matthew. This is Matthew chapter 2. And Matthew is the only, um, he's the only, of the four Gospels, he's the only one to talk about the, the wise men or the Magi, okay? 
So it says this, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, magi, that's the word that we get like magician or magic from, incidentally. So these were guys that were into some, some kind of some, some weird, uh, mystical, astrological, um, sorcery kind of stuff. These don't necessarily, uh, these guys don't fit in a Bible story. Yet here they are, the Magi, the three wise men. The Bible doesn't say there were three, but there were three gifts, and so there's just an assumption there. Anyway, um, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So first, we've got to deal with the fact that this is one of the parts of this story is God makes this light and he draws people to Jesus who kind of, sort of, don't really fit. Like in the religious world of Jesus' day, the Magi were involved in some dark things that you weren't even allowed to really associate with, as a Jew especially, and yet God creates this light and he draws them to Jesus. Like the Magi and a Jewish baby shouldn't be interacting according to the whole Old Testament. And so God is breaking open these categories of who's in and who's out. He's tearing down walls of separation from the start as the Magi are drawn to Jesus by this great light. Now, incidentally, this is where we get Christmas lights from. It's the idea of this light that that brought hope into darkness, that brought um, the spiritual far from God toward the spiritual um, connection with Jesus. That's where we get Christmas lights from. Christmas lights will always be a sentimental part of of my life um, because of my son Elijah. He'll be 15 on Tuesday, uh, but when he was just uh, really a young toddler, like 18 months or so, um, kid barely talked. Probably couldn't get a word in because of his older brother, but you know he didn't have to talk. But but he, all he said was "ball." Hey Elijah, how you doing? Ball. Can we count to three, Elijah? Ball. Just ball. That's all he said. But when we... Oh, I got a snort. Third service, my favorite. Um, whenever we would drive by Christmas lights, this kid who never talked, and I remember the first time, and I'm going to... Like, I'm going to like blow up my vocal cords just trying, but I would hear from the car seat back there, <laughs> like he would just do this crazy, like like grunge, death rock, whatever, like that that, and it's like demon kid in the back, just. And then every time we would go by these Christmas lights, he would just do that, like all different. Sounds like a motorcycle starting up or something. And I'll always remember that. Like if I ever wanted to hear my kid talk, I just had to get him to Christmas lights, and all of a sudden. His inner comedian came to life. Anyway, let's go back to the scriptures. Um, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until they stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now, isn't that weird? Like this is where you know Jesus, um, uh, the the wise men were were almost certainly not at the the stable. Most scholars believe it was probably like eighteen months to two years that they showed up, and so they finally get uh, to where the house where this child is, and they present this toddler with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, what in the world is an eighteen-month-old baby? going to do, well, here's some, here's some myrrh for you to play with, baby Jesus. But what we find is there is incredible symbolism. Because you, sometimes you, you would give somebody something uh, when, when they were born, and it kind of set, plants a seed, sets a tone, makes a connection between the child and the object, um, or you know, for the parents to see the connection, for onlookers. Let me give you an example. Now I was born in Maslin, Ohio. Um, Maslin's about 50 minutes uh, south of here, and Maslin is famous for one thing, football. And every newborn baby boy in Maslin is given, that's mine on the left, a football in their crib at the Maslin Hospital. Now, there's no birthing unit anymore there. They don't do this anymore, but when I was growing up, uh, every newborn baby boy, that's Chris Fieldman's signature on it. He's like the most famous football player to come out of Maslin. But anyway, um, they did that as the booster club. So that from birth, the seed was planted for every boy try to get them out on the football field. <clears throat> so when we see this situation where, where these, these wise men, the magi, come and they present the child with gifts, we're going to see some pretty solid symbolism in these gifts. So let's start with gold. They gave the child gold. Now, gold in Jesus' day and time was associated with royalty. Common folk didn't get gold. They didn't exchange gold. They didn't have gold. It wasn't presented to common children. But from the start in Matthew's gospel, we are presented with this idea that Jesus is king, right? Because the Magi themselves say, we've come to see this child born king of the Jews, and they give him gold, basically solidifying this idea that he's king. And what we're going to see this theme develop, we're going to see the theme in, Ma in, in Matthew that, that, that there's a king has been born. How is this king going to be received? Because that was a big deal in the ancient world. Is this, do, do we give credence to this king? Do we accept this, this king as our king? And so the story starts off with, with um, actual kings, King Herod, worldly kings. And King Herod wholeheartedly rejects Jesus to the point of trying to kill the baby. Like that's the first reaction to Jesus from earthly kings. They want him gone. So Herod obviously believed he may very well be a king and he, he wanted him out of the picture. But then also in Matthew, we see, these, these, we see the religious authorities we see the religious somebodies, and they wholeheartedly reject Jesus because you get this picture of Jesus who is for the common person. And so much of religion in that day tried to really keep people from God and sorted who's in and who's out, and the religious elite had a lot of power, and they rejected Jesus because he was a threat to their system. But then we see the magi, who don't even belong in the story. They're very, very far from God, and yet they worship this king and acknowledge him as a king. 
So the story breaks open all these categories, and all of a sudden the somebodies, they're not a part of the story, but the nobodies and the spiritual rejects. God not only guides them to Jesus, he makes sure they're in the story, but they embrace this king that nobody else wants. There's a place in Matthew, a couple places, where Matthew outlines this actual kingdom. Because it turns out that Jesus isn't the king of a geographical place. His kingdom is a lifestyle. And so Matthew says this. These are the words of Jesus in in Matthew uh, 25. One of my favorite passages of scripture because Jesus outlines, like if you ever wonder, how how do I please the king? What do I do with this life to get it right? This is Matthew 25. Then the king, Jesus, will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, and take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Now they go on to say, when did we do any of that? And Jesus says, anytime you've done that to the least of these, you've done that to me. So the idea here is Jesus' kingdom is about us serving those in need. When we help children in Costa Rica who have nothing, we are helping Jesus. And Jesus said, that's my kingdom, and that's how you honor him as the king. So we see gold and we see king. We also see frankincense. And this was, the, um, <clears throat> this was the connection of the priesthood. Because frankincense symbolized prayer. Um, um, it was used in anointing oil. It was very priestly. So if, if, a, if a football in a crib uh, connected somebody with gridiron greatness, frankincense given to a baby would say that this kid is, is, is linked with the priesthood. And what does a priest do? Well, hopefully a priest is an advocate for people. A priest connects people with God. Now, a lot of priests don't. A lot of priests in Jesus' day didn't. A lot of clergy today don't. Some of you, no doubt, I have no doubt that there is a portion of you today that I'm talking to who have been deeply wounded by clergy or religious leaders or religion. Whether it was sit, stand, kneel until the whole thing felt dead or whether there were actual priests, clergy, spiritual authorities, whatever, that, that made life miserable for you or that wounded you through their own sinful actions in some way, a lot of people create distance between people and Jesus rather than be an advocate for them. But look at, look at how Jesus... This is Matthew telling his own story about his own life and his first interaction with Jesus. It says, while Jesus was... Uh, Having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees, those are the religious elite of the day, when they saw Jesus eating with these spiritual misfits, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, 
but sinners. Jesus said, I am for people who are far from God. So, just as Jesus was a king, Jesus was also a priest meant to bridge the gap, meant to be an advocate for people who were far from God, bringing them to God. Let's talk for a minute about myrrh. Now, myrrh brings a little bit of a dark shadow to the story because myrrh was a spice associated with death and burial. It was part of the embalming process in the ancient world. So for them to bring this baby, this toddler, myrrh, it said it kind of suggested this story might not end well. Okay, but this was a king that needed to die to bring his kingdom. This was a priest that needed to die to bridge us to God. That's how the Savior saved us. So Jesus says this in Matthew 20, 28. <clears throat> the Son of Man, that's Jesus' favorite nickname for himself. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So here's how it works. Jesus says it's a ransom. That means it's a payment on behalf of or to liberate, a payment in order to liberate. The scriptures say that Jesus' death on the cross was our death penalty. He paid our death penalty for us. Why? Because God didn't want us to feel distant anymore. He didn't want us to have to wonder every day and feel the pressure of not knowing if we're right with God. So the scriptures say that Jesus paid the price on the cross for every one of our sins. And through faith in him, we have been ransomed. We have been brought back to God. It's the king that established his kingdom through his own death. It's the priest that made us right with God through his own death. That's what the Savior did. And that's the incredible gift of Christmas. It's that this baby was born as a king, as a priest, and as a Savior from God to bring us back to God. And I hope that you can see yourself in this story, that we can find ourselves in the Magi, people maybe very far from God, people in desperate need of a Savior, and I hope that, like the Magi, you will embrace the king and fall on your knees acknowledging him as your king, as your priest, and as your savior. That's the incredible gift that God gave us 2,000 years ago on that incredible night.